Rebecca Gregory's life was forever changed due to the bombings at the Boston Marathon on April 15, 2013. Rebecca has devoted the past decade to turning her pain into her life's purpose. Today, she's a sought-after inspirational speaker, author, coach, and founder of Rebecca's Angel Foundation. Would you please help us welcome Rebecca Gregory? Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. You guys are making me emotional already. (laughs) What a week it's been. Um, Man, the hurricane at first was supposed to hit right over top of us. So we are in Sarasota. And at first, the eye of the hurricane was right over us. So we were bracing for massive damage and devastation. And as you've seen all over the news, uh, just about an hour south, it is completely obliterated. And we, our hearts just go out to all of the friends that we have down in the Fort Myers area and all of the things that they're gonna have to do to really pick up and rebuild their lives. But I knew it was going to be difficult to get here. And we have not had power in the last five days. So with no power, we've had no internet and our building does not get good service. So we have not been able to communicate in or out of our house. And so my husband was like, I'm really afraid that you're not going to make it out of the Sarasota airport. And to even get the car out of the garage is impossible because there was a tree that fell right by the garage. So now I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have to contact an Uber. I've gotta switch my flight to fly instead of Sarasota to Tampa, which is about an hour from us. And when I get to the airport, I can finally breathe for the first time, right? And I'm so excited because there's light everywhere. (laughs) But I get here last night and I'm standing at the, the thing where you get the luggage off and I'm looking at the suitcases, I'm looking at the suitcases, and my suitcase isn't here. And I have a carry-on bag, but all that I carry on is an extra leg and the supplies for my extra leg. Because I have had it happen to where a leg ends up in a different location, and that's not good, because it's literally a leg I have to stand on, right? (laughs) So today, I open with, I am in two-day-old clothes. The stench in this room is probably from me, but I appreciate that out of all of this, I am still able to stand on this stage and share my story. And thank you. You know, hearing the, the words of those worship songs and seeing the energy and the light that just comes off of the stage with the worship team, and man, I mean, you guys are so talented. I realized, I felt like, you know, all of these obstacles were in my way to get me here because Satan really didn't want me to share my heart message with you today. But what I found out is he didn't want me to hear the message either. 
I'm going through so much medically right now and we'll get into all of it. But this week has really proven that as big as the hurricane was, as big as the obstacles in our lives, God is still bigger than it all. God is still a good God. So to really get into my story, I have to take you back to the day, right? But before that, I have to tell you that typically people lead off with, well, did you already finish the marathon? Had you already crossed the finish line? And all of these different questions. And then I have to disappoint them. Because see, everyone always thinks that I was running the Boston Marathon. No, no, no. I was on the sidelines eating chocolate-covered pretzels, wondering why anyone would ever sign up to run 26.2 miles for fun. That, no. Now I have great admiration and respect for anyone that does, now that I've thoroughly disappointed the marathoners in the room, I apologize. But that was just not me at that time. I had gone up there, it was my birthday weekend, my first time ever in the city of Boston, and I had gone to watch a friend who had actually qualified. I had no idea that Patriots Day is a holiday that the entire city shuts down for. All I knew, it was my birthday, I was exhausted, I hated my job, worked way too many hours, and I just wanted to have some fun. And we toured the city, we caught a Red Sox game, we sat on the famous green monster, I mean, we did it big. And I had brought my five-year-old son along with me. And that day, we, we started out at the 17-mile marker, and we're tracking our app, or a runner on, with an app on our phones. And one person in our group of nine said, we should get closer to the finish line so that we can see our runner physically cross. This is a great idea in theory. But if you've ever been to a marathon, specifically a marathon of half a million people, the logistics of getting from mile marker 17 to the finish line is a little difficult. It's a little fuzzy, especially when you've brought your kindergartner. And all of a sudden I'm wondering and thinking that that was probably not the best decision. Nevertheless, we ended up at the finish line. We were right in the middle of the action. We were so close that we could see the sweat pouring off these runners' faces and the smiles that stretched from ear to ear as each one crossed the line. It was the most contagious, most incredible atmosphere I had ever been part of. However, there are so many runners before a five-year-old gets bored watching them continually cross and he's completely over it. And I remember Noah started tugging on my clothes. Mom, mom, when are we gonna leave, mom? How many runners, mom? Help me, mom. And at this point, if I'm being totally honest with you, I was a little over it too, but I had no idea when we were gonna leave. I had never been to one of these things before. So I said, buddy, why don't you sit down and play in the rocks like you're a scientist? And there were no rocks, we were on asphalt. But to a five-year-old, this was a cool thing to do. So Noah took his place on my feet 
with his back up against my shins. And that's exactly where my little boy was when a bomb in a backpack went off less than three feet behind us. To say that that day turned from celebration to the greatest tragedy I've ever gone through is an understatement. But before I get into my journey, I want you to know first off that because I made the decision unknowingly to put my son at my feet, my body was able to act as a human shield and save his life. I took everything in the back of the legs, the torso and the left hand and that's what shielded my little boy. Now, I'll never take credit for that, right? Because I had no idea what was gonna happen, but I am thankful every single day. My little boy had two cuts, one on his leg that they were able to stitch up and one piece of shrapnel grazed the back of his head and he's got a little bald spot. But that same five-year-old is now 15 and about six foot three and thriving. So no matter what I'm up against, life is good, right? And I feel like what I want people to know more than anything is that as long as we have a beat in our chest and air in our lungs, then we have so much purpose that God has a plan for each and every one of us. But it gets so hazy sometimes because while the majority of people won't get blown up by a bomb at a marathon, every single person in here knows what it's like to have life blow up in their face. And then you're like I was when I woke up from a medically induced coma, staring at four blank walls, wondering how in the world did I get here and where do I go from here? It was so difficult to wrap my head around and then I have FBI agents coming into my hospital room telling me that we've been part of one of the largest terrorist attacks on United States soil. But by the time I was waking up from a medically induced coma, my son who had been taken to a completely separate hospital was coming to visit me. And the first thing he said is, mom, we're gonna be okay. I said, yeah, buddy, we are. And I had no idea what okay was. I had no idea how I was going to begin picking up the pieces of my life, literally. I am laying there and my world has just exploded in front of me. But in that moment, you have two decisions. You either give up or you fight harder than you ever have in your life. And that little boy, saying that to me was enough to give me that fight. Because on the other hand, I'm thinking all of these things and I'm terrified and I'm wondering how my life is gonna be and I have doctors coming in saying, we've got some good news and we've got some bad news and the good news is you're alive. The bad news is it's gonna take a really long time to piece you back together and you might lose both your legs and your left hand. That's a lot to take in, right? But in the same notion, I had more gratitude in my heart than I ever have in my entire 
life. Like, I was so happy to just be alive. I was so happy to see my son that it didn't matter what was ahead of me. I just was so appreciative that I had a life at all, that I was going to begin picking up those pieces no matter what it meant. And for me, it was 37 different medications just to make it throughout the day. It was surgery after surgery and they would come in and they would pick metal out of my body piece by piece. And standing here before you today, I've had 73 operations as a result of that bombing. And I'm getting ready to have another surgery next week and a big one in a couple of weeks. But I go back to as long as I'm here, as long as there is that beat in my chest and air in my lungs, I have purpose. For 26 years, I took my life for granted. Every single day, I would get out of bed and I would put two feet on the ground and I typically would hit the snooze button about 13 different times because I was running late to everything and I was constantly chaotic. I was a single mom. I was just trying to make it. I was trying to be the best mom possible. I thought the more success that I could bring to myself, the better person I would be, the better mom I would be, the better provider. And it wasn't until a bomb shattered my world that I realized I had it wrong that we are not meant to survive our life. We're meant to live it. And so no longer am I taking things for granted. And I'm looking around me and I'm seeing the beauty each new day holds. And no matter who is coming in to try and tell me terrible news, I have this joy in my heart that I couldn't explain. And it's easy for me to talk about the physical stuff it's easy for me to tell you the surgeries and the pain that I've endured because it's nothing compared to the emotional. It's nothing compared to laying on a Boylston Street sidewalk bleeding out. I'm in a pool of my own blood. My bones are laying next to me. N nails, ball bearings, BBs, everything these brothers packed into these pressure cooker bombs. People's body parts were all around us unattached to them. That's the worst scene that I saw. Can you imagine how my son reacted to that? Can you imagine what he experienced and saw? And so part of us accepting the journey and part of us deciding that our life was going to be bigger than what stood before us was learning to laugh about the things that we couldn't change, about deciding that our challenges in life are never bigger than what God does for us. And shying away from challenges gives us an inaccurate measurement of our strength. But specifically, it gives us an inaccurate measurement of God's strength. So that day, I spent 56 days in the hospital initially, and I had surgery every other day, followed by every other month, followed by just a couple here and there. And we were exhausted. But there was one thing that happened right before I had a meeting with my doctor. My son comes into me, he's seven now, and he said, Mom, are you gonna have to get your leg amputated? Are they gonna cut your leg off? And I said, yeah, buddy. 
I think they're going to. Because my right leg was injured, but my left leg was far worse. I was able to keep my left hand. And I went into the doctor, my doctor was kind of in tears because at this point we've become family. And he takes my hand and he said, I'm so sorry, Rebecca, but we're gonna have to do this. And I said, this is not going to be a bad thing. We are going to use this because what happens in our life doesn't define us. What we go on to do after does. And so that weekend, it was a Friday and my doctor said, okay, when, when are we gonna do this surgery? And I said, do you have any cancellations for Monday? <laughs> and he did. So I believe that this is what was supposed to happen, right? But we went into the weekend and instead of it being a sad thing for us, instead of us grieving, my family had been through so much at that point. And so I said, we're gonna have fun. We're gonna choose to laugh about the things that we can't change. In this next chapter of life, we are not going to dwell on the things that have happened and what we can't change. We're gonna focus on what we are in control of. And so that weekend we had a going away party for my left leg. I, I did a Boston Strong blue and yellow one last pedicure because priorities, right? <laughs> and we had a, we had a, the going away party was at my friend's steakhouse, which is hysterical because they decorated the whole place. It was a very big event. And I wrote my leg a breakup letter because it's, I said, it's not me, it's you. <laughs> and we needed to go our separate ways. And that Monday, as I was going into my amputation, I knew a lot of my life was gonna change. I knew that there was no way to prepare to figure out what I was up against. I knew that I just had to trust God, that he was going to provide, that as long as I was on his path and not my own, I was gonna be okay. That was a lot for me because for so long, I had tried to do things my way. I had decided that my way was better than his. And trauma has been a big part of my life ever since I was a little girl. In fact, six months before Boston, I got held up in a Walmart parking lot and robbed at gunpoint. I thought that was gonna be the biggest highlight of my life, not even close. As a little girl, I was very, very abused by my biological father. There are so many different things that have happened in my life that I could have looked at and I could have said, I give up, I am done. But I see the trajectory and the decisions that I've made as a result of that. I was a young mom and I had so much to prove. I wanted to prove so much. And in that moment, I gave it all to God. And I said, I'm done doing things my way. I'm doing it your way. And right before I had my amputation, I was at peace. And my nurse took my hand and she said, are you scared? I looked at her, of course I'm scared. They're gonna chop my leg off. And she said, good. And I, I made a joke. I said, at least I get to start every day on the right foot, right? <laughs> I mean, what else can you do in that moment? But she took my hand and she said, I'm glad you're scared. Because on the other side of that fear, you will be unstoppable. Whoa. And as the mask was placed over my face, 
And as I began to count down 10, nine, eight, I kept saying over and over to myself, on the other side of that fear, this fear, I will be unstoppable. I had no idea what that meant. I didn't know what was gonna happen. I just knew that I was going to do the best I could and make just beautiful things for my family because that's what they deserved. And I woke up from that amputation and I was a new person. Not because I had any clue what to do, but just because for the first time in my life, I was directed on the right path. And I decided that I couldn't change my circumstances, so I might as well have fun with them and I might as well laugh. And my son in that, in that conversation where he asked me if I was gonna cut off my leg and his response was, that's so cool. I'm gonna have a robot mom. Yes, yes you are. And so his, he, again, that strength that I'm pulling from him every time I feel like I can't handle anything. He comes in and he says it and I know that that is why I continue to fight. And I was gonna be the coolest robot mom there was. And I was gonna wear shorts and I was gonna wear dresses and I was gonna get my toes painted every two weeks because priorities. And I was gonna have as much fun and laugh about things as I possibly could. And that's why every Halloween we have fun costumes like Lieutenant Dan and a pirate. And that's why we make jokes on TikTok and go to IHOP on one leg and ask for a job application. And that is why that my family is not gonna suffer because this is something I can't change. But it doesn't have to take over. It doesn't have to define my life. And if my suitcase had arrived, I had a particularly awesome sleeve picked out that I rhinestoned so it was gonna look like my shoes right here. But I think it's really appropriate for what we're talking about today because so often in our lives, the physical is the easy to think about and see. If someone is physically hurt, you can see their scars. If I was in a dress today, you would know I had been through something. But if I was out in the lobby before church, chances are you would have had no idea I was an amputee and also that I had had 73 surgeries and counting. The emotional is the struggle. It's everything that we go through on the inside. But I've learned that we can either count our blessings or count our problems. And every morning, I have to put on a prosthetic leg before I get out of the bed or reach for a wheelchair. But I'm also reminded daily of how short my life is and I'm not gonna waste a second of it. I am gonna go and I am gonna look for the beauty in the world because we have seen 10 times over that there is still so much more good than there is bad. And I wanna be part of that good in any way that I can. And I remember having this phone call and someone asked me, a speaker's bureau said, we think you would be a good speaker. You should go tell your story. I'm like, no. That sounds terrible. What is anyone gonna learn from me? I am broken, I have messed up, I have made mistakes. And my mom said something to me and she said, You're been, you've been given a story to tell. Maybe someone else can resonate with that. Maybe what you're doing is not telling your story. Maybe you're providing hope. Maybe you're not teaching. Maybe you're reminding people of what they already know. 
But we get so lost, we get so caught up in the day-to-day, the constant struggle that we forget to live and we just survive. After my amputation, that was a hard year for me. And I was excited. I I had signed up to run the Boston Marathon. I was like, I'm taking my life back. These brothers have not destroyed me. I'm gonna do everything on a fake leg that I didn't do on two real ones. And then I stood up on a fake leg for the first time. And I said, oh man, why did I ever make a social media post about running the marathon? That was a terrible idea. But I had this fire in me. And that's the decision that we have every day is to have that fire for life, that passion, why we do things, why loving our family even more because we don't know when the end will be. And I I just remember standing up and I thinking, I'm gonna do everything that I can. And so I I will never forget the time I I told the pastor I was gonna tell this story real quick because I had not only learned how to walk, but I was learning how to run at the same time. And so I had pants on and I wanted to get to the point where if I had pants on, you'd never know I was an amputee. And so I walked into the grocery store one day and this man comes up to me and he's five shades of red. And he's standing here with his hands on his hips. What gives you the right to park in a handicapped spot? (laughs) And I lifted up my pant leg and he turns even more red. (laughs) And he says, you're that bombing girl that I see on the news all the time. And I said, my name is Rebecca and you just made my day. (laughs) Because this is a goal that I had, that I wanted to be able to have pants on and you not know there was anything wrong. And you just told me I did it. (laughs) I guarantee that man will never ask about any type of handicap parking preferences again. But the point of that story is we never know what people are going through. And we always have the option to speak joy and speak life into people instead of just lashing back. I could have said, I'm a Boston Marathon survivor. I'm exhausted, my leg hurts. That's why I parked handicap in the first place. But instead, I chose to look at that experience and think, man, all of these things I had worked for, all this time that I've spent learning how to walk, I would go to the mall to watch people walk and mimic their steps just so that I could practice on my gait and my walking. I was doing everything, going to the gym five days a week. And so in that moment, that wasn't sadness, that wasn't anger, that was pure joy because I had accomplished something that I had set out to do. So many times we have the option to do just that. And we think in the morning, you know, we we say our prayers and we do our gratitude stuff, but then throughout the day, there's so many times where people can just steal our joy. I call them the joy stealers, right? But when we come from a place of gratitude first thing in the morning, when we count our blessings and not our problems, we see that nothing is that big of a deal, that it's pretty trivial. And so much of an impact we can have on other people if we would just listen and be vulnerable and tell our stories and connect. That year was a struggle for me. 
but it also was one of the biggest years of growth. It taught me compassion. It taught me that I had more strength than I realized. And it taught me to open my Bible and pray more than I had ever prayed in my entire life. And that same year I had to do one of the hardest things I've ever done and testify in the trial of the remaining bomber. That in itself was more difficult than I can even put into words. The testimony, I sat just a few feet away from him and I had to rehash along with everyone else the worst events of our lives. But I also got to do something amazing. I got to go back and give a victim impact statement. And I had to figure out what a victim impact statement was because I've never been a part of a federal trial before. So I was Googling. And what it means is that it's the statement that's made before the judge and the jury give their final verdict. And so I wrote my statement out and I handed it to the US attorney and he made me go last. And I got up and I just wanted him to look at me. I wanted him to know that I wasn't defeated that I was stronger because of this, that I was looking at it as a second chance at life to do it better, to not just survive, but to live. And I looked at him for the first time, our eyes locked. And when I say that it was like staring in the face of the devil, that is what it was like. His eyes were black, there was no compassion there. I knew he had no remorse based on him leaning back in his chair and cracking jokes with his attorney and not acknowledging the jury on the first day of the trial by standing up. But I didn't care about any of that because I knew in my heart what I wanted to say. And I looked at him in the eye and I said, I was asked to give a victim impact statement today. But in order to do that, I would have to be someone's victim. And I'm not yours, and I'm not your brothers. And I went on to say that one act of hate that stretched a couple hundred feet, we've seen an act of love that stretches hundreds of thousands of miles. And every day when I wake up, even though I don't know what's gonna happen to me and all the trials that are still going to be in my way, I will choose joy. I will be a part of the good in this world because I know that all of this is temporary. What we are going through, what we are facing, it is nothing compared to the joy that we will one day have. And often our worst chapters lead us to our most amazing ones of all. In 2018, my husband and I founded Rebecca's Angels Foundation, and we've now provided over 250 families with mental health therapy. That is God. Thank you so much for allowing me to share my story with you today and my heart. I can't wait to meet you at the finish line. God bless.